재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 We're back. We are talking about this recent visit by Foreign Minister Yoon Byung-se to Havana, Cuba this past weekend and the speculation on to whether these two countries will re-establish diplomatic ties which have been severed for over half a century now. Now, there are interesting issues involved with this including Cuba's relationship with North Korea but also this overall diplomatic strategy in terms of North Korea, its allies, and South Korea making overtures to those allies, as well as the uh, debate over whether sanctions are indeed a long-term successful policy in trying to get a country to change its behavior. Give us your thoughts again. Text us at pound 1013 for 51, or send us a Kakao Talk message by adding TBSCFM as a plus friend. We're going to be joined by a political science professor shortly, once again here in the studio, managing editor of Korea Expose, Ku Seung. Seung, one question a lot of people may have is that uh, what I just kind of briefly talked about going to Uganda, or you you mentioned the uh, overtures made to China quite aggressively, this personal chemistry developed between Xi Jinping and and Mm -hmm. Park Geun-hye. And again, these overtures being made to Cuba, um, is it simply kind of an issue of we're going to try to kind of put the squeeze on Pyongyang. We're going to try to isolate them even more through this dollar diplomacy type of thing where, you know, we, we're offering some economic uh, incentives to try and push you more to our way of thinking. Well, certainly there's an element of that. Um, that said, President Park has been known for her fondness for overseas tours. Um, she has visited quite a few countries during her term so far. And let's not forget that after her African tour, she was also at the state dinner hosted by the President François Hollande of France in Paris. So so all these things kind of come together to create a picture that diplomacy is a tool that she certainly values. Um, and at the same time, this is something that many commentators have pointed out, that President Park has uh, essentially lost her backing in the National Assembly after the new election. So she has not much leverage in terms of pushing her agendas. This is uh, one of the few things that she can do now in order to create right. some kind of legacy before she leaves office. I just don't understand politically how, again, these guys are much smarter than me, I, I know, but mm-hmm. the Blue House political strategists thinking that, okay, we're going to be able to exploit the North Korean issue and convince these Minju People's Party guys to go ahead and pass these very, very uh, harsh reform bills that will endanger the livelihoods of a lot of people. Mm, I disagree with you when you say that these people might be smarter than you. I'm just trying to figure (laughs) out how they're going to try to maneuver that. I think they have tried to make certain connections between the diplomatic overtures and domestic policy. But if you look at the kind of policies that the opposition, Minju, and the People's Party want to push in the next session, which has taken office, um, it, you can see there's a clear disjuncture between the priorities of the administration and the priorities of the legislative body. So I think um, it's nice to say these things, but ultimately nobody really buys that argument. Right. Let's actually get more uh diplomatic perspective on what's going on here. Uh, joining us on the line, political science professor from Hanyang University, Joseph Yi. Hello. 
Hi, Henry. It's great to talk to you again. Well, thanks for joining us, Professor Yi. Uh, first, do you think Foreign Minister Yun byung says visit to Cuba will indeed lead to formal establishment of diplomatic relations between the two sides? And overall, what, what was your analysis of this visit by Yun? Uh, I think diplomatic relations is, uh, is beneficial for both countries, so I think it's going to happen uh, uh, sooner or later. Uh, in terms of the long-term implications, we were talking about the President Park's uh, this kind of long-term strategy. Um, in terms of Cuba, Cuba has long-term has a you know long-term relations with North Korea, so it's very doubtful that Cuba will follow Uganda in terms of cutting off military or security relations with North Korea, number one. And also, number two, my, I wanted to make a more general point that the, the strategy of, of kind of like puni of isolating North Korea, punishing North Korea to, 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 get, to get North Korea to, uh, you know, to stop the nuclear program, that's, for me, that seems to be a very ineffective and a counterproductive strategy, that isolating North Korea, punishing North Korea, it's not going to stop the nuclear program that, in a way, it's going to even make North Korea even more angry, and it's going to even, it might even accelerate the nuclear program in North Korea. Right, and maybe breaking apart that strategy a little bit more in detail, uh, let's talk about Uganda. they they also a longtime ally of North Korea. I guess, ostensibly, people saying they switch sides to the south. Um, they're saying they're not going to provide any more uh, security and military uh, aid or cooperation. Um, this, according to diplomatic sources, Joseph, the uh, president, yeah. Yoweri Museveni of Uganda, asked about 10 North Korean military officials and other groups of 40 police personnel stationed to leave the country. You are, I think, saying that what happened in Uganda does not necessarily have any link or correlation to what will happen with Cuba as far as them possibly following suit, right? Yes, and also don't forget that this is not per this is not a permanent break in relations. This is just a temporary break in military and security ties. Uganda still ha maintains a diplomatic relations. And my interpretation is that this is mainly more of an economic move, that the president is stressing economic development for Uganda. South Korea is a much richer country than North Korea. South Korea can provide much more aid. So I think, you know, my interpretation is this is more of a face-saving measure, something to make the, you know, to, to make the South Korean government look good. In return, you get aid just for temporary, just for temporary cessation in uh, military security relations. Uh, and again, it's not going to have a, it's not going to have a major impact on Cuba or on ultimately what we're looking for, which is, you know, stopping this uh, nuclear program in North Korea. Another question then, then with Havana, if they establish diplomatic ties, does that have any effect? Is that indeed anything damaging to North Korea? Um, I think it can. I think it can have a positive or I think it can have a positive and negative impact on North Korea, Henry. I think one, um, Cuba and North Korea have been friends for a long time. Uh, they have you know, a very similar situation. They were both heavily sanctioned by the United States. Cuba is still the target of United States sanctions, the longest sanctions in like, U.S. history, over 50 years. And so North Korea can really like, relate to Cuba. And if Cuba can, and if Cuba can tell North Korea that, look, you know, we're, you know, we were a target of sanctions just like you, but we managed to work it out, you know, 
and to be you know, to re-engage with the world, that Cuba can be a very positive role model for North Korea. Uh, that can be the positive thing. And but I think that will only work if Cuba maintains engagement with North Korea. On the other hand, if you know South Korea is successful in like in cutting off relations between Cuba and North Korea, then Cuba will no longer be this positive role model for North Korea. And in fact, North Korea will feel even more isolated and even more threatened by the outside world, which is going to make North Korea even more stubborn and even more determined to develop its nuclear program to defend itself from what it sees as a very hostile external environment. Just bringing Hang into the conversation, would you agree? I mean, do you feel Kim Jong-un and his cadre are staying up nights really worried about the potential establishment of diplomatic ties between Seoul and Havana? <laughs> well, maybe they have other things to worry about, too. But I think Professor Yi um, did say something important, which is that um, if um, South Korea somehow succeeds in uh, presenting Cuba as a state that has strayed from its path or commitment to communist ideology, I think North Korea actually gains something, which is a more kind of legitimate standing as the only country that remains that has really adhered to its uh, correct ideological path against the various um, hostile forces like American imperialism. Um, so something that there is something definitely that North Korea gains. Also, we need to think about how negligible this loss of ties might be for North Korea as well. We talked about the, the, the small size of economic ties between Cuba and North Korea. So if that is really lost for North Korea, is it really a blow? It sounds more symbolic than it really anything. It is absolutely tangible. symbolic. Um, maybe on tangible level, this is not such an important thing. Now, Professor Yi, I understand you recently wrote an article uh, regarding sanctions. Uh, one of the, the major sanctions that people know about, of course, is the uh, longstanding embargo that the U.S. has imposed on Cuba. Their relations have, of course, been uh, very uh, much improved in recent months. Um, is it possible that North Korea, as you seem to be saying, is a remote possibility, could see an analogy that North Korea could also be the next Cuba? Uh, usually the analogy that people make is that Iran, because Iran also had a nuclear weapons program. Um, and then the argument that I make in my paper, because I, I was talking about, you know, for example, like people look to cases like South Africa as a successful boycott. You know, this was back in the late 80s. And then, you know, my, my co-author, Joe Phillips, Busan Diakio, we made an argument that sanctions really work on, under really rare conditions. And the rare conditions are that, you know, the one, that the security environment improves, and the nation does not feel external threat. And number two, it has, uh, it has partners, negotiating partners that it can trust. Okay? So in the case of South Africa, in the late, before, you know, before 1980, it felt threatened by communist insurgencies in Africa. And also it felt that the ANC, the, you know, Mandela's party was another communist insurgency. But in the late 1980s, you know, as you know, communism collapsed in the Soviet Union and in much of, much of Africa. So the security environment improved. And also the leadership in South Africa, President F.W.D. Clerk and Nelson Mandela's formed relations of trust. And so by improving security, improving interpersonal trust, South Africa, you know, so sanctions had a positive impact in pressuring South Africa to change and reform. And we saw a similar pattern with Iran that in Iran, before Iran felt very threatened by the United States, 
they thought the United States was going to maybe invade Iran or Syria, just like it did with Iraq. But in the past, in the past few years, with Obama's presidency, Obama has not invaded any country. He has not even bombed Syria, number two. And also, President Obama and the new president in Iran, Rouhani, formed relations of trust as negotiating partners. And so because of those two conditions, security and trust, positive, you know, sanctions had a positive impact in persuading Iran to give up, this, you know, at least to temporarily give up this nuclear weapon, uh, nuclear, nuclear development program. And so, the, so my argument is that in order to make sanctions work, for North Korea, you need to you need to get North Korea to feel more secure, uh, and also to find partners that it can negotiate, that it, partners that it can trust, that it can negotiate with. Okay. All right, uh, Professor, we're going to have to leave it there. But thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, Henry. And it's good to meet you too, Mr. Kuseon. Nice to meet you too, Professor Yi. Professor Joseph Yi from Hanyang University. Okay, I just want to go follow upon. Uh, what he was saying, there are some distinct differences, and if you talk about the models that North Korea can follow, um, Cuba might not really be in the right context because of the geographic uh, location, because of its sort of history with the United States, and really that is, and of course the Latin America dynamic, which is very much different, but a country like Iran, I guess a lot of people do say, hey, look, you guys can do what Iran does, even though the Hawks don't really like that deal that they uh, struck mm-hmm. with the, the U.S. and their allies. You, I know, recently visited Tehran. I don't think <laughs> you visited Pyongyang in recent months. No. But do you see a correlation there or any kind of um, link that they can, you can see that there's a path as far as North Korea is concerned? I think um, there's, there are limits to comparisons simply because um, Iran is actually incredibly uh, modern country. In it's, it is a repressive country, but it is open. People have freedom of travel. There right. are many people are educated abroad, and they're expo- it's a sophisticated country. Yeah, it's a sophisticated see, culture, yeah. and people are exposed to ideas from outside. And North Korea is the opposite of that. So, to what extent can we really push this peril? I'm not entirely sure. But at the same time, um, it is true that U.S. has certainly made many efforts in the recent years to improve its ties with countries that have had that it's had uh, hostile relations with. Um, Iran being a good example, and Cuba is another. And yet, instead of really kind of taking a page out of the American playbook, uh, South Korean government seems intent on using these developments in the international community to try to use to its advantage in isolating North Korea. There's really been absolutely no talk about engagement or reconciliation. This is all completely over. So, So it's interesting to see that even though this is what's happening Overseas, yeah. um, South Korea is actually not interested in engaging with the one country that it should care about instead of a country that is so far away that, that it really doesn't even register in the South Korean consciousness. I think what you mentioned is interesting in the sense that there's a little bit of irony. People might support or not support the current U.S. President Barack Obama in foreign policy. The conservatives will say he's being too much of an apologist. He's being too weak in terms of engaging whether it was the Iran deal, whether it was visiting Cuba, uh, trying to establish diplomatic relations. But he's essentially done nothing different with North Korea as his predecessor, George W. Bush, who really kind of upended uh, a a lot of, uh, I suppose, effort in terms of engagement uh, during the Sunshine Policy era. And so I I think South Korea, obviously, they are taking definitely a more hardline approach, but it's not like they are not having 
the support or blessing from the U.S., which has really been kind of with that strategic impatience policy, kind of just kind of said North Korea is really not our top foreign mm. policy issue right now. Well, actually, some of the supporters of the Obama's, Obama administration have actually argued that the American government made a lot of efforts under Mr. Obama to reach out to Pyongyang. And they say it's really the media that hasn't paid much okay. attention okay. to these efforts, whether you agree or not. I think there you are correct in saying that the general perception is that uh, it hasn't really been uh, we haven't seen the kind of really heartfelt gestures toward engagement from Washington toward Pyongyang. So the status quo has continued. Then we have seen missile launches, nuclear experiment, and so on. When we then look at the South Korean strategy, and if we say that this is some sort of overarching kind of uh, grand vision they have of going to places like Uganda, uh, Cuba, um, maybe try to uh, curry favor more with Russia as well, uh, is that going to work? I mean, you, we talk about dollar diplomacy. It's a very, very kind of uh, not fair comparison. But Japan, I don't know if you're passionate about this issue, but the anti-whalers always decry Japan in the uh, whaling federation because they're buying up members by whether with trade incentives to vote in their favor for those um, quota systems to allow the, the hunting of whales for mm-hmm. quote-unquote experimental purposes, which, of course, all that meat ends up on the fish markets. But I I get that you can use your economic power to try and influence people. But at the end of the day, if you can't influence China, you're really not getting anywhere, right? And there's one regional partner on whom South Korea really has no, um, I guess... um, uh, tools yeah there influence. is absolutely zero leverage right. Right? they have tried many things in the the early phase of this presidency and things seemed to be quite positive for a while but but everything fell down fell apart after the after north korea uh, conducted another nuclear experiment and china refused to to show much enthusiasm for the kind of sanction that south korea wanted and then of course we saw the talk of thad starting here uh, meaning that um, the the sophisticated missile defense system Washington is all one to to install here in South Korea to much objection from Beijing. And what's interesting is um, actually just in the last week I was hearing that um, we are going to talk again about that. So so this is something that South Korea really clearly hasn't really let go of just yet. And certainly this would not help in terms of um, trying to get the support of Beijing that South Korea might need. It's almost been almost, you could say, a very schizophrenic foreign policy from the praise that this uh, current administration got during their tough stance during the uh, Kaesong shutdown and and Mm -hmm. how they got uh, North Korea to kind of bend to their will on that issue Mm -hmm. to going... just remarkably going to visit that Chinese military parade and and really kind of showing that they're such a strong, I guess, friend, at least economic friend of China to, as you're saying now, (laughs) considering the actual uh, deployment of the THAAD anti-missile system. And this is all, I suppose, targeted with North Korea in mind. Then you kind of kind of wonder, what is the other option besides engagement? Well, <laughs> that's the that's the if dilemma. If none of this right? is working, is, is my the, point. The the sanctions proponents say recon- uh, engagement doesn't work. Engagement proponents say sanctions don't work, and we've actually kind of seen both approaches uh, be implemented and fail. Um, I think perhaps the most interesting thing to watch out for in the coming months and years is uh, the U.S. presidency. 
right? Is it really going to be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Um, Donald Trump, at least for the record, has uh, uh, shown a very different approach to the North Korean issue. He has talked about um, making South Korea pay more for the U.S. military presence. Encourage us to build nuclear weapons. Right, perhaps even uh, pull the U.S. soldiers from South Korea. We already have uh, American forces moving to Pyeongtaek, and lots of things are changing, and perhaps some of these pieces may have uh, an impact on the stalemate that we have not seen from other other scenarios in the past. Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating development politically to see and how that affects, of course, the events here in the Korean Peninsula. We're going to leave it there. Koo as always, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Always a pleasure.